Well, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time here tonight. Father, we are thankful for your goodness, your mercy in our life. We're thankful for your protection, watchful care over us. Lord, we are mindful, Lord, of uh, those in our body that are battling various uh, sicknesses and health challenges. Lord, we uh, lift those individuals up to you and pray for those that... uh, Lord, just again, that uh, deal with the chronic pains of their, of their bodies. But God, thank you for, Lord, the strength and many that are coming to mind as, even as I talk. Hesitant to mention somebody's name, afraid I'll leave somebody out. But thank you for their perseverance, God. And Lord, even tonight, they're uh, here tonight. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We just pray that you'll uh, be our guide, be our teacher as we open up such a vital foundational book that if we don't understand and see how things are set up in Genesis, Lord, how much of the rest of the scripture, Lord, uh, is, is a mystery to us. So help us to gain understanding tonight. And even as we uh, talk one last time about Noah and his faithfulness. So Lord, we commit this time to you and Lord, again, give you thanks that we could come together, Lord, and uh, receive from your word. And we pray your blessing on us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. I want to talk about Noah a little bit. And we'll, as I said, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the building of the ark, that that begins here in chapter 6. How many of you remember the picture of, uh, and I'm trying to remember the year, but that may not be so good, but um, in the 90s, uh, when the Tiananmen Square uh, in Beijing, when there was what seemed to be a uh, uprising, and you remember uh, they let it go on there for a while, and then they said enough is enough, and they started the crackdown. But do you remember the famous picture of one guy standing and there was this tank in front of him and, he, and I remember he's holding some little little, like a little grocery bag like you know he'd just been shopping or I don't know what was in it but he's just standing there this one guy facing this tank and it was such an iconic picture of standing alone I, and I, I again I don't know this factually something in me tells me that uh, he was later arrested and whatever because that became such a picture that went around the world to uh, kind of symbolize uh, the defiance and the, of the uh, Chinese people. And of course, there was a great oppression and crackdown that came after that. Noah's an example of somebody in his generation that uh, stood alone, stood alone. And you know, Mo, Noah uh, in his day uh, certainly was uh, certainly radically different than our day, but yet there's principles in the Word of God that I think are helpful for us to just stop and pause and consider Noah. You know, if you grew up in church and went to Sunday school or kids' church, you, you know, your image of Noah and the ark and Jonah and the whale and all those stories, you know, you just have this picture of little flannel graphs and little images or whatever and cartoon images. But Noah, the Bible, and Jesus will look at and remind ourselves, Jesus affirms Noah as a real historical person. And so tonight I want us to look at Noah standing alone, a little bit more of a character review, character study on Noah around this theme of standing alone. You know, to be 
uh, just like that guy there in China during the Tiananmen Square uprising, you know, standing alone, uh, and that's becoming more and more in our society and culture that um, certainly, you know, it doesn't hit home to me. And, you know, being here as a pastor, I don't have too much of a threat, but, I, but many, perhaps you, in certain businesses or backgrounds, people in different areas of um, education and business, that if you were to make a I say make a stand, that almost sounds too formal, even just express your opinion about something that goes against the cultural tsunami that uh, we're in of change, you can easily uh, lose your job. I mean, sometimes there's situation of people in various high profile, no profiles, that perhaps make a decision, maybe make a innocuous decision uh, uh, text, you know, or a Twitter, a tweet, um, you know, or a Facebook or something, and, or re, re, you know, resend something that was sent to them, and all of a sudden, their 15, 12-year career for whatever company they work for is over and done with, because there's such a hyper-vigilance in some parts to push a, uh, a type of uh, uh, narrative, agenda, uh, in a certain um, philosophy of life, and that is more and more contrary to uh, biblical truth, biblical principles. And we live certainly in a day, maybe again, it doesn't come home to where we are, but I think we are savvy enough to observe on television and news, there are people, fire, it doesn't matter if you're a firefighter, police officer, politician, whatever, uh, that you dare to stand against the cultural uh, wave of certain agenda items, you may indeed pay a price with your career, your job. Uh, you may invoke, depending on your role in the, in the you know, I was thinking about the uh, Supreme Court with Kavanaugh and, and uh, Justice Roberts and different ones where uh, they found out, you know, where they live and were protesting outside their house, which, by the way, is against the law, but they don't seem to enforce the law anywhere anymore. But that was against the law. You can't intimidate. Uh, you can't do it to the president. The Supreme Court's the third branch of power. And so, uh, you know, imagine their children in schools and et cetera, et cetera. So if you stand, even for the most basic of biblical truths, the biblical values, uh, you will indeed probably pay some measure depending on where you live or where you work. Well, Noah is an example of someone who shows us an example of standing uh, for righteousness in an evil day. And we talked uh, uh, about how the culmination of evil had progressed to the point that God rendered or will render judgment of a universal flood that he's going to essentially uh, wipe out creation and start over again. And that uh, there in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, I uh, don't have the scriptures on the screen, I uh, don't want to have to deal with technology glitches, so we'll do it the old-fashioned way, bring your Bibles. Now it came to pass when men, chapter 6 verse 1, when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters are born to them, that the sons of God, we won't rehash that again, we talked a little bit about that, 
saw the daughters of men, whatever these sons of God are, where some, the implication is they were some type of demonized or some type of uh, unusual uh, hybrids of some sort, as bizarre as that sounds, but my, my point that I made last week is something above the norm must have taken place because the punishment was so extreme. It has to be more than just intermarrying with another tribe. But it says that they chose for themselves wives. Um, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Uh, speaks about there were giants, some type of hybrid human beings uh, in those days and afterward. We know in David's time, Goliath and others were referred to as giants. Uh, you know, it wasn't the green, was it the uh, green giant? wasn't quite that, uh, I don't imagine. But, uh, but certainly they were unusual type of, and the implication is that these are type of offsprings of whatever type of uh, evil union took place in verse 2. Uh, and it says that uh, verse 5 is where I was going. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the culture. That's the world that we come to Mr. Noah in evil in his day. And so Noah's a great example and I think an encouragement. I think of others like Daniel, you know, that again was faithful to God. I think of Joseph uh, that was able by God's grace to maintain and stand for God, even if it meant um, threat of their own life and threat of their own well-being. Well, Noah is somebody as we come to this place. The Bible says in Genesis 6, 9, it says, this is the genealogy of Noah, and Noah was a just man or a righteous man, perfect in his generations. It doesn't mean he was sinless perfect, but in comparison, he was someone who uh, was, was honoring to the Lord and considering the generation, the, the world that he lived in, verse 8, right above that says he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't earn grace, but he found grace. God had mercy upon him and his family. In verse 9, it says Noah walked with God. Remember over in chapter 5, it talks about how Enoch, Enoch walked with God as well. The Bible said Enoch was walking with God and then he was no more. Uh, God just took him bodily, did not experience death. But God, you know, remember hearing one preacher talked about how the Lord was walking with Enoch. And the Lord says, you know, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come with me? So I don't know if that's the way it took place. But, but that phrase, walked with God, implies that in the midst of this cultural evil, that we see there that the Lord says in verse, uh, verse 9 or verse uh, 5 of the wickedness. In verse 6 of uh, Genesis 6, says the Lord was sorry, or uh, I don't know if the King James used the word repented that he had made man. But it doesn't mean that God ever, uh, and that, that again, that keep in mind, that's human language for us to try to understand that in, one, in, a, in, a, in a sense... God had emotion, if you will, if we could use that, and regretted the sinfulness of humanity. It wasn't that God 
you know, said, oops, uh-oh, I wish I had known they were going to do this. You know, listen, God, God never has to learn anything, right? You do know that. God doesn't learn anything. But that's human language when we're trying to describe deity, when we're trying to put human language around God. You know, we're so kind of casual when we talk about God. He's the God of good parking places at Target, you know, uh, as though God doesn't have any better things to do than worry about you getting a good parking place. But I do give him thanks when I get one close. I admit that, all right? I'm not ashamed to admit that. <laughs> um, but but we, we have a casualness about God, and we have to remember that our language is so finite, and we're trying to... You remember the, the passage that we should all be familiar with, Isaiah chapter 6, and the year that King Uzziah died. I, you know, Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 6, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, speaking of the, the majesty and the royalty. And he saw those angelic creatures, cherubims, day and night around the throne, singing holy, holy, holy. And you remember Isaiah's response? He didn't say, oh, wow, hey, the man upstairs said, I'm undone. That's, uh, uh, in the Hebrew, maybe the closest way we can understand something coming undone is like, if you ever uh, use one of those old, I say old, still use them, the cast spool fishing rods, you ever had the line get all, and you just, just ready to say something you shouldn't say, right? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. No, I didn't want to, I didn't want to. You just rip it out and want to get another one and put it in there. That unraveling, can't put it back together, is the idea of what Isaiah was saying. I am undone. That was the response. And so, uh, again, trying to put descriptions on God. So when it says there in uh, verse 6, and this isn't in your notes, I'm just mingling a little bit from last week, even though I said I wasn't, but just building up. So the Lord was sorry that he made man and grieved in his heart. The Lord grieved. You know, the Bible talks about you can uh, grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't grieve an it. You don't grieve a, a you know, a, what do I want to say, a, a, a non-human in, or a non-personality. Humans or personalities uh, grieve. That speaks of emotions. And so, again, just trying to wrap language around that God had emotion in the sense that he wasn't happy and joyful at the judgment he was going to place upon humanity. It wasn't something that gave him some kind of perverse thrill to do it. You know, some people have that kind of idea that God is just, uh, you know, he's just kind of up there to mess with your life. He's just always trying to, you know, he's going to make you hit every stoplight. You know, he's just going to make your life miserable. Again, we have such a, a, an odd view of God, whereas the picture of God that it says he grieved, you know. I mean, even the Bible, when it speaks about uh, his heart, he, he's desirous that all would come to repentance. So God's heart is what is in the language there is trying to be expressed. Uh, just And in the midst of all that, verse 8, Noah found grace, and verse 9 he walked with God. He stood alone. If, if, if the entire face of the earth was to do evil continually, their intent of their heart was nothing but 
wicked evil over all the inhabitants, and yet God only finds one man and his limited family that will be spared of the judgment. And in essence, God, when I say start over, he's not going to recreate human beings, but he's going to remember the purpose and plan of Genesis 3.15 that God has set in motion uh, to bring forth the seed, the ultimately prophetic one, the Redeemer, through the prophecy there given to the, and the curse given to the serpent, that God is going to bring forth one that will come through the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, that will destroy Satan. He says, you know, speaking again in Genesis 3.15, the serpent will bruise his heel. That means that you, you will, you'll, it's not a death blow, but he will give you a death blow. He will bruise your head. He will crush your head. So Genesis 3.15 is still in play. Okay? Don't, don't miss that. It's still in play. Even though the face of the earth is wicked, God doesn't ha- God's not in a bind. So God is going to, in essence, uh, when I say start over, he's going to reboot humanity, but do it in a way that is brought forth that the godly line, remember there's two godly lines, they're at work. And the godly line is going to be spared through the line of Noah and ultimately through one of his sons. So that's kind of the, again, a little recap of where we're at. But I want you to look with me as we focus around Noah uh, a little bit. I tried to put some things there in your outline that'll just be helpful. But if we want to glean some principles from Genesis chapter 6 of uh, encouragement to stand alone even sometimes you may be in your family. You may be the only one that has any godly inkling. That's a Greek word, inkling. Uh, it's not. Uh, you, the only one that... Um, uh, I hope it's nobody here. Sometimes people tell you things and you don't know if you watched it on TV or somebody heard it. You heard it in church. Is that what happened? I won't look at anybody. Is that what happens when you get old? You, you can't remember where you heard something, but I think somebody here in the church told me, and I won't use names because I don't remember who, um, but basically uh, said uh, that they were at a family get. Yeah, I, you are here, so if I'm not going to acknowledge you, Lord, say that. What's that pill people advertise about your memory? Maybe I need to take some of that. But I can't remember the name of it to take. No, that's... Um, but that the person became antagonized at even to... Uh, no, they're not here. They're not here. <laughs> Evie, I thought it was you, but it was somebody else. And they're not here. They have no representative here, so they may never know. But that's okay. They wouldn't mind me telling this. But the person in this family, while they were recently visiting, uh, when they were just going to lead in prayer over the meal, was so hostile at just that simple action, we're just going to pray over the meal. You're not going to do that blankety-blank in my house. I mean, normally, normally, I've rarely, I can't remember, probably one, but I don't remember. Usually people, when you offer to pray for them, even if they, they will, yeah, you can pray for me. 
But I mean, but, you know, usually when a person is not spiritually minded of Christ, sometimes you hit a nerve there because they're not, remember the Bible says it's not, it's not flesh and blood that we war against, right? It's, it's, it's flesh, it's, it's principalities, it's spiritual. And so that, that hits some kind of nerve. They had to go outside. And this isn't a family-ish gathering. Had to go outside just because he made such a ruckus and that kind of thing. So sometimes you might be the only one in a family who, not that you're in there preaching or bringing in your large print Thompson chain Bible and setting it on the table or whatever it is, you may just be the lonely person in your family, in your, in your, in your group that is standing and uh, for, for God. And that's not always an evil thing. So let's look at Noah. Stand, number one, standing alone. It's just some principles here. Standing alone, talking about us today, is necessary because we too live in an evil day. We live in a day in which right seems wrong and left is right and up is down and don't even know what a man and a woman is. Uh, bizarre. But I want you to notice, and I underline this, circle it, mark it, and I have the verses, most of them are there for convenience. But notice how it says twice, actually maybe three times, uh, about the corruption on the earth. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You get the idea of what the condition was like? It was corrupt. Uh, sometimes you might have a, you know, a, a, I don't think anybody uses floppy disks anymore. Sometimes we use a little USB drive. And every once in a while you'll be trying to use it in another computer. And it'll say, error message, the file is corrupted. And you're like, oh no, that was my only copy and it was corrupted. It means it's beyond repair, it, the, it, it's beyond uh, uh, fixing. Uh, and so the fact that it shows and says three times, you know, in your uh, Bible study, I've mentioned this, anytime you see repetition, it's again, it's, it's to signal a certain emphasis. I mentioned Isaiah chapter 6, holy, 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 that three part emphasis. Never God has mentioned love, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. No, holy, holy, holy. It's an, it's an emphasis in language, repetition. Jesus, verily, verily, or truly, truly. It's to pay attention. Look at this. Don't miss this. So oftentimes repetition. So three times in two verses, corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. What do you think the world was like in that day? It was what? Corrupt. It was in bad shape. And uh, God saw that. And so God, uh, when it says there about Noah, it says that Noah, uh, again, was somebody we'll see who walked with God. But his, uh, the, the word corrupt in the Hebrew means to destroy. It speaks of moral degradation and violence. Um, you know, it's interesting, Jesus, in Matthew 24, I won't turn to it, but at the, uh, not uh, use it as a reference there in your notes. But Jesus specifically said that when Matthew 24 is that, that tremendous teaching chapter when the disciples asked him, 
What will be the sign of your coming? Good question, right? What will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus specifically did several things. He said, it will be like in the days of Noah prior to my second coming. The world will be like in the days of Noah. There's several things going on there. One, Jesus, Son of God, God of very God, affirms the scriptural story of Noah. He cites it in an authoritative way, saying, you remember Noah? Or you remember reading about it, guys? You know, the evil? It will be like that. In other words, the judgment that is to come, that the days will be evil. He affirms the historical record of the Noahic story there in Genesis chapter 6 in, in Matthew 24. That what were the days of Noah, were, what were they like? Well, there was eating and drinking and, hey, tomorrow's just another day. Life goes on. There's not going to be any consequence or judgment. Remember when we were looking at the fall the big lie, one of the big lies that Satan uh, spoke into Eve's life was that, hey, you can violate God. You don't have to take him seriously. You can violate his word. He said you can eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. You have everything. But our sinful hearts want to go to the one thing that you can't do, right? Just tell you, tell a child, you can't do something. You just tell you, some of you, you can't do something. You just want to do it even more, right? Um, and what did Satan say? He knows that when you do that, he's not going to do anything. I mean, in fact, he's just kind of, he's, he's a little insecure because he knows that in the day that you do this, you're going to be like, him and he can't handle it i mean but the implication not implication the direct sense is you can violate the word of god and there are no consequences is he still peddling that lie sure because he tells me that all the time hey you don't have to take god seriously here nothing's going to happen you know you can kind of freelance justify this sin or that sin. So in the days of Noah, eating and drinking, he says, and uh, in fact, let's just turn to it. I'm trying to paraphrase it, but let's just look at it. It's an important verse here. You should know, handle it in your, in your own Bibles there. Matthew 24, and uh, let's look at verse 37. Matthew 24, long chapter. Boy, that coffee is good tonight. You don't know what you're missing. See, on Wednesdays, see, Sandy, she buys Folgers. That's what you drink on Sunday morning. I buy Maxwell House. That's what I make on Wednesdays. So, just FYI. Um, all right, verse 37. Verse 36. But of that day, of that day, prior to his coming, We'll pick it up, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. 
No, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Remember they asked Jesus that question in Acts 1 after the resurrection, before Jesus ascended? When? When? Verse 37, but as, so you want a sign, you want, a, you want something to, what is a, a sign? A sign isn't the arrival, a sign is just pointing to the event, right? When you're driving down the road and you see that sign for Cracker Barrel, you don't stop at the sign and just, oh boy, this is really good, this sign, this is a big sign. No, it's pointing you how to get to the main event. That's what it is. But as the days of Noah, as the days of Noah were, okay, affirming the historicity of the flood of Noah as a person, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So he's affirming Noah, the ark, and did not know. Did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he affirms the historicalness, the histor historicity of Noah. He affirms the historicity of an ark. And he affirms the historicity of the flood. So... Listen, a man who is raised from the dead tells you something happened, I'm, I'm going with him, right? I'm going with him. That's, that's pretty good credibility. So what were they doing in the days of Noah when it talks? What's the implication of the language? Eating, drinking, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and marrying. Hey, at least they were marrying, right? That's better than we're doing, Right? But, I mean, what's the implication of the language? What's, what's it trying to just say? What? They're just part, it's just life is great. There's no, everything's good, right? Until, until Noah got on the ark. So standing alone, it's easy, it's easy to go with the flow, isn't it? to take the path of least resistance. Listen, there's sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut and just get in and get out of the situation, right? There's nothing wrong. Sometimes, you know, the Bible talks about being as wise as serpents, innocent as doves. There's time to use discernment. discernment. You don't have to make a stand for everything, some Christians think they've got to make a stand and a statement, whether in Wawa or whatever. Just get your coffee and go. Okay? Get out of the line so I can get in and go. You know, don't, everything doesn't have to be. There, you ever been around people like that? That everything is a tripwire into some issue of... No. But there are times. There are times when something pushes against your conscience. Of, that really is right and wrong. See, we've got to discern between a preference and a conviction. Sometimes the churches confuse those things. 
We've made big stands on preferences, right? Hymn books are preferences. Right? Meeting at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning is a preference. Okay, there's a lot of preferences, and we get all riled up over stuff, right? Chairs. We don't have pews. Pews, that's a beautiful name, isn't it? Sitting in the pew. This generation, pew, something stank in the church. Uh, but when there's a conviction, and you know what, and I hope this is true in your life, when the Spirit of God, there are times in my life when the Spirit of God just, I, I want to ignore something. You ever done that? You just want to walk away from something? And the Holy Spirit will not let you do that. The Holy, you know, and, and it could be whatever. And you know that sense where the Spirit of God is just pushing, pushing. There's a sense when something, you lose sleep over it, you wake up, you think about it. There's a sense that if I say something, I know X, Y, Z may happen. You know, I, I mentioned how Charles Stanley passed away this past week. And by the way, if you get a chance to watch the celebration service, it's on YouTube, uh, it's not the funeral, it's the celebration time they did Sunday night at the church there in Atlanta. It is so worth watching, am I right? It's, I know some of you watched it, uh, you'll be blessed by it. It's a couple of hours, but I, trust me, it's, it's really worth watching. It'll bless you. But you remember one of the famous statements Charles Stanley says, and is, you hear it over and over again, obey God and leave all the consequences to Him. If you obey Him, if you're obeying His Word, He's responsible to handle your consequences. Your job is to obey His Word. Noah was somebody that chose to obey God, living an evil day. He could have been, a, a, you know, the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer does what to a temperature? It just what? Just reads it. Okay, you got 101 whatever temperature, it's going to read that, Right? In my house, you know, my wife and I don't argue about anything except it's hot or cold. She says, what do you got that thing turned down to? And I always say 50. 50? I said, no, it's 71 for crying out loud. 71? I said, yeah, put on an extra blanket. It's hot in here. You know, we have that battle. But a thermostat, you do what? You set the temperature. See, Christians are called to be what? Salt and light. You know, salt, when Jesus used that metaphor of salt, salt back in the day and even today, that's the reason when you buy a sandwich at Wawa, check the, um, uh, what do I want to say, the sodium on the package. And if you lift and stagger to your car without a cardiac arrest, you think, well, it's a turkey sandwich. You look at that thing, I guarantee it's at least 900 or over 1,000 sodium. Ridiculous. Why? Because sodium is a preservative. Salt. That's what they would use back. It was, a, it was a natural preservative. You know, it kept things from going bad. Um, some of you fish, uh, you know, or they ship sometimes fish, and they'll put... Packing in salt and dry ice or do, you know, because they want to keep it 
from uh, deteriorating. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Well, salt also gives a little flavor. Christians should be giving some good flavor. Unfortunately, Christians leave a bitter taste in people's mouths. Sometimes we've done that, right? But salt, you add salt. I don't use salt anymore, but I use fake salt every once in a while. Or uh, Jesus might have been politically correct. says, you are the Mrs. Dash. But salt can give flavor, but it also preserves, doesn't it? And so God has allowed the church to be a preservative element, but it's harder and harder. It's getting harder and harder. And so Noah stood in an evil day. Notice, secondly, standing alone is possible because we have the example of Noah doing it. God allowed this in his word. Verse 9, these are the records of the generations. The New American Standard I have, I think, printed there in verse 9. Point number 2, standing alone is possible because Noah did it. The New American Standard says these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. That word righteous, you know, righteous can be used in different ways. Romans talks about the righteousness of God. We need the righteousness of God. God has enabled us to be righteous because of the finished work of Christ. And uh, it is used as an imputed righteousness. But the word righteous in verse 7, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, 7, they also have there, says, by faith, this is the chapter 11, the, the hall of faith, if you will, the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Now right there, warned of things that he had no frame of reference to, he was moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And the fact, the implication, the New King James, uh, the version I use here doesn't really... But, but by his action, by his obedience, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. It wasn't that he went out and talked a big talk but by the fact that he chose to obey God in the face of massive opposition of the culture, that his obedience in and of itself was an indictment, you with me, was an indictment and against their ungodliness, the fact that he chose. And so righteous, when it says that Noah was righteous, a righteous man, it means that he exhibited right conduct before the Lord. He walked in right conduct. Doesn't mean, again, he was sinless. It just means that he obeyed God. And the test was for God to, as Hebrews eleven seven 7 uh, says, that he was divinely warned of something that he hadn't seen. Didn't know anything about. Noah was not only righteous, but the word blameless means complete or whole. The implication, again, is Noah, and compared to the evil culture that, that was rampant in the world that he lived in, Noah was a man that walked in the fear of the Lord. He walked in integrity before the Lord. 
Now think about how many blessings and resources we have to undergird our godliness in our life. We've got, what, Christian radio, media. We can listen to just about anybody and anything 24 hours a day on our phone. We have resources. Many of you are using your phone. Your bi- I hope you're, you know, you're looking up Scripture. We, we've got the Word of God. We can listen to it. We can read it. We can, I mean, we, and we have a church. We have people that you know, we assemble with and it can encourage. Think about what we are blessed with and what we are called to do. We are called to do nothing less than stand and obey and walk with God. In our generation, Noah was alone. And yet the Bible says that he was a man who walked with God in his conduct. There was a completeness and integrity in his walking with God. The walking, you know, the Bible used the term, uh, you know, in Ephesians, talks about walking with the Lord in our walk. It, it implies in your daily course of living, in the daily course of life's affairs, that you are living it under and before God. If you uh familiar with R.C. Sproul and his uh, devotion, uh, his the title of his section of his article each month was the term Coram Deo, and that was a Latin term that means living under the glory of God, living under God. It was a sense that we live, everything we do, you know, where can I go from your presence, the Bible says. What can I do? A joke about going in Wawa, guess what? The Lord's, the Lord's with you wherever you go. Dark is as light to him. There's no, there's no, there's no hiddenness. And so we live our lives under God. Noah lived a life that was an integrity and honored the Lord. He walked with the Lord. Uh, Genesis 5, not sure if I have some of these scriptures there. Uh, Genesis, uh, look, look at Genesis 5.32 in your Bible. Well, actually 6.10 is in the bottom. You can use that, it's the same thing. It just mentions... Uh, in Genesis 6.10, and it mentions it again in 5.32, or mentioned it earlier, it mentions his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the, the table of nations would be distributed among those three sons, as we'll see in chapters uh, after the flood. But the table of nations flowed out of those three sons. And I think also... A reminder, the fact that it mentioned his sons uh, is perhaps, some people think, it's just a subtle uh, reminder, the naming of his sons two different times is the effect, and a, a, maybe a little, little glimmer of the effect of Noah's godly life and how his choosing to live under and living for God and walking with God and being a righteous man, how it had consequences that affected his family, his children. Now, we don't know for a fact that after the flood, uh, we don't know their spirit, but yet for whatever it was, their spiritual covering, they had a covering with Noah as, the, as, as dad. And so our, our living for the Lord and our family and our children, maybe Again, now it's your grandchildren or nieces and nephews. Uh, it affects the latter generation. And I'm, 
my reading this morning. I'm in 2 Kings 13 or 14. And boy, you talk about, boy, it's hard to keep track of those kings and who's doing what. And boy, it's, that's real, you know, I have to I'd be going back, pulling up, like, who's that guy again? Where, how did he get in there? Um, but it just seemed like one, especially when it's talking about the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, it just seemed like one after another that they did evil continually in the sight of the Lord. And the son of so-and-so, and he did evil like his father. You know, it was just perpetuated all down the line. They did evil. Remember the, now this will really date us. Some of you under 40 probably will not remember this, or under 50 barely maybe. But you remember the, you remember, first of all, if you're old enough to remember when they actually advertised cigarettes on television. Remember that? <laughs> of course you do. You can take Salem out of the country, but you can't take the country out of Salem. Why? I remember that. I can barely remember the church phone number, but I remember that stupid jingle. Yeah, I need to set the church phone number to music. I get it mixed. I put that wrong so many times. There was a commercial anti-smoking. Do you remember when the father and son are out doing stuff, washing the car, and the kids with his squirt gun? He, the picture is in this little commercial, he's emulating everything his dad does. And then it kind of ends with them sitting under a tree. And they just had a good day. And the dad takes a pack of cigarettes out, lights up a cigarette, and sets the pack down there. And it ends with the little boy reaching over. Do you remember that commercial? Oh, don't fib to me. Y'all are old. You remember that commercial? It was on forever. Kind of like the crying Indian. Remember that? The pollution? Now they're all in a uproar over that commercial. And that was 50 years ago. The implication is what we do will be, will affect the next generation. And again, some of us now have the opportunity to affect our grandchildren. But notice thirdly, about Noah in your outline, standing alone is achieved by our walking with God. Noah stood against evil in his day. It's possible because Noah is an example in Scripture like Daniel, Joseph. But standing alone is achieved by walking with God. Notice several things here. Walking with God begins and continues through faith in God's Word. Hebrews 11.7 I have both the ESV and the New Living Translation. By faith, Noah, being warned by God, concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. The New Living Translation right below it. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. The implication is something that Eve failed at. God and Adam and Eve failed at is that when God speaks, we follow, we obey. Noah exhibited his character, his walking with God, in that, and we exhibit our standing alone for God. If we're going to stand alone, we've got to be committed to obeying 
the word of God, that what God says, and even though it may be against the culture, what, does, what did God say? Has God changed his mind? Two aspects. Is notice it says, things not yet seen. Faith in God's word, it was unseen. You know, it's easy to have faith in stuff that you see, right? Faith is a substance of things not, not seen. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith as so, some nebulous something out there. That faith is the substance. We have faith in something. We have faith in God. We have faith in God's Word. That what God says as a warning or as a blessing, we have a faith and a trust to listen and obey God. Trust and obey, the old hymn says. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Noah had faith in what God said. And remember, there's no frame of reference. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. You, yeah, it's like you're going to do a, I got to build a boat and rain. We're going to see in a minute here that maybe you didn't ever even seen rain yet up to this point. But also under, under A is faith assumes that we hear and know God's Word. If you're not daily taking in the Word of God in some form or measure, how can you be expected to follow and obey God when you never listen to God? Again, sorry for all the references to Charles Stanley. I just was paying attention and, and uh, appreciated his ministry. But one of the things that the uh, pastor of the church uh, that, that succeeded him in the, in the church in Atlanta talked about when he had first come on staff there, uh, Dr. Stanley invited him to come over to his office, and Dr. Stanley had a, had a prayer closet over at the church in his office. And, and, he, and he, you know, he said, you know, I was, uh, went in there, and he said, I didn't know what to do. And Dr. Stanley got on his knees, and later he kind of just laid out on the floor and just started praying, and he was saying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the Baptist, the, his associate, he said, I was a good Baptist. He said, I didn't know what to do. I just started going, mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Lord. He just, he started mimicking everything Charles Stanley was doing. But he said, but one of the things that Charles Stanley taught is that prayer is a two-way. It isn't just, it isn't just talking. It's what? Listening. Right? Do we listen to God's Word? Do we take time for God to speak into our life through His Word? And so, B, walking with God requires complete obedience to God's Word. Verse 22 of Genesis 6, Thus Noah did according to some of what God commanded. Is that what it says? You know, you remember the criteria for a true prophet in Deuteronomy, was that if they spoke something claiming to be a prophet, what was the, what was the proof of whether they were a genuine prophet? Did they, were they graded on the curve? Like, hey, there's an 80%, you know. No, meaning every detail. God as we'll see here, which we probably won't get, we'll probably uh, have to stop here in a little bit, and we'll, we'll uh, do it in a couple of weeks. Uh, I want to do something different next week. And, uh, 
as you see with the building of the ark, God, even with the measurements of the temple and the tent, the tabernacle in the wilderness, God is a God of details. Have you figured that out? I mean, he, has a, he gave Noah exact measurements. In fact, flip over to, um, to the next uh, page there real quick. You can look at these on your own. You don't need me to do it there. The picture there where it gives an, a, a dimension there. There's three slides there on uh, this third page. Uh, you see that the, uh, he gave him specific uh, measurements of what to build and build this ark. Uh, that third little graphic, again, it's not everything. Uh, place a window in the ark, a cubit, 18 inches or from the top, and a door in the side of the ark. Make the ark uh, with three decks and was specific about uh, using gopher wood. They're not really sure what gopher wood is, but it's interesting, and I've got it somewhere in my notes or your notes. I try to make your notes close to mine. But that they're not sure what gopher wood is, but suggests that the word in the Hebrew, where God specifically told them to build it with gopher wood, the NIV uses the word cypress wood. Verse 14 of Genesis 6, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover it, with, cover it inside and outside with pitch. The Hebrew word for gopher, as well as the word pitch, which is tar, that Noah covered the wood, were, the wood with, both come from the Hebrew root word for atonement, which means to cover. Do you think there's anything intentional in that picture there of Christ as our ark of safety? Huh? I think so. Obedience to the word of the Lord. Where are we at? Letter C. Skip those pictures. We won't come back to those. Let me read, look at this real quick. That little box that I have highlighted there. One of the best books on a biblical perspective that blends uh, uh, some, the scientific truth without getting too lost in the weeds of the science, which, again, is important, but they do a great job is probably one of the foremost uh, men who really led the way on creation, uh, biblical creation. And that was, he's with the Lord now by the, by the name of Henry Morris. Henry Morris and his book called The Genesis Record is really the classic book that uh, is very readable, very helpful. But he says, uh, talks about verse 20, talking about these details, obeying the word of the Lord. Uh, says that in verse 20 about uh, naming, putting every kind, let me read it here in Genesis 6, 20, when God was giving Noah instructions. <clears throat> uh, verse 19, notice verse 18, the Lord says, I will establish my covenant with you. He's still, he's not reneging on his covenant. The covenant still moves forward. Verse 19, and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Ooh, that's not real politically correct. Verse 20, of the birds after their kind, I joke, but that's really the craziness. 
of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing, even creeps on the ark uh, of the earth, and it's kind, two of every kind. You remember the Lord created according to their kind. And that again, that pushes against the idea of natural selection that sees, you know, blob in a million years, maybe growing some legs and being some kind of hybrid salamander, and eventually over a few another million trillion years, being a horse. You know, there is change within the species, but dogs are dogs, cats are cats, right? Within the species. And so listen to something that... Um, is from this, in that box there. I'm going to read it. Uh, we don't know exactly what the Bible means by the word kind in reference to the animals. And this is uh, from the book Henry Morris, The Genesis Record, page 185. It could refer to families of animals from which the various species could later develop. The Bible is clear that God created the various kinds of animals distinct from one another, but there could have been change within the kinds. Okay, There's dogs... And there, but within the dog world, there's a lot of varieties of dogs, but they're all dogs. They're not pigs, you know. Uh, authorities, third bullet point, authorities on taxonomy estimate that there are less than 18,000 species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians alive today. But even if that number is doubled to allow for extinct species, the ark would need to hold about 75,000 animals. Given the dimensions of the ark, it could hold as many as 125,000 animals, the size of a sheep. Since the average size of land animals is less than that of a sheep, no more than 60% of the ark would be needed to hold the animals, with the rest being used for food, water, and storage. And again, they go into a lot um, of detail on that. Look at the scripture there I have in the outline, 620. How did he get them to cooperate? I can't even get my dog to go outside when he's supposed to. He wants to go hide with Sherry. How am I going to get two of every kind on a boat, right? Look at this. Verse 20 suggests something interesting. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will what? Isn't that interesting? God talks to the animals. And then walking with God requires perseverance. Noah just kept at it in 120 years. And after the 120 years, it was time. 120 years of giving opportunity to heed and obey God. You remember, you think after 120 years, Noah's out there building this Boat, and I'm not even sure they knew what a boat was because the um, uh, verse in, uh, and I have it somewhere, where it speaks about the water uh, was a, like a mist from the earth, coming up from the earth. Uh, I have it somewhere. But anyway, so the suggestion is there wasn't even the way that the water, the rain, there was not yet rain up on the earth. They didn't know what rain was. Why do you need a boat? What are you going to do with that? 120 years. Maybe on Friday nights, they took some lawn chairs and 
stopped by and got some beers and said, hey, let's go look at Noah, that moron and his family, and let's go have a big laugh watching him build this monstrosity. He talks about rain. We don't know what rain is. Never seen rain in life. But all of a sudden, there came a day when the Bible, if you read ahead, it says that the Lord shut the door. And it began to rain. There will come a time when, going back to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, his coming prior will be like the days of Noah. There will come a time in which the door of safety, the entrance of safety, will be shut. The Lord shut the ark, the door of the ark. And Noah persevered. Persevere just means that you stick to it, the stick to itiveness, until the job is done. You ever seen things that are kind of half, half done? I remember I, two places I used to live and pastor, uh, one in South Carolina in Columbia and another place in upstate Illinois. And in both places there was two churches that had started their building program and they had the steel frame structure up. And that was all there ever was. And that was like that the whole time I was there and then later found out it was just, they never got, because they started something and couldn't persevere. They couldn't see it through the end. God gives us the grace and the strength to persevere to the end. Noah is an example of somebody that didn't just have a few good days, a few good moments standing against the evil of his day, but he was consistent and he persevered. And that last scripture that I have there, close, just by reference, Peter, Peter the apostle, references Noah as a real historical person. He's speaking about the coming judgment, the coming judgment, fast forward, that Jesus was speaking of prior to his coming. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, the great white throne judgment, verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, calls him a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah found favor with the Lord and was faithful. And so encouragement as I read that is we may not have quite the challenges that Noah had to deal with, but that God in every generation, every generation, God always has a remnant of faithful men and women, but God expects us to do no less. I mean, that's Noah. That's pre-Holy Spirit. That's pre Knowledge of the revelation of the finished work of Christ. I mean, that's think about how much we have, and especially resourced by the fullness and the filling of the very Spirit of God to do what is naturally we can't do, that God has enabled us to write His law upon our hearts that Noah didn't have, that we have. How much more does God require and expect of us to be faithful. Old Noah, 
And uh, again, he wasn't perfect, but he was faithful to God in his generation. May God help us to be faithful, to walk with him in faithfulness in our generation. I can't do anything about my dad's generation, and I can't do anything about my grandkids' generation. I'm only required to do in my life to honor the Lord. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Noah. Thank you for his example. It was so important that you ensure that these words from chapter 6 have been in the Word of God for generations. Lord, to exemplify a man that stood and walked in faithfulness even against the tsunami, tsunami of evil of his day. Lord, how much more we've been equipped by your Spirit. We've been equipped with the great full revelation of truth of the Word of God. How much more, Lord, have we, do we have in our arsenal and our resources, God, to walk faithfully in our generation? So, Father, thank you for your Word. Let it be an encouragement to our hearts. We pray in your name, and everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you.